We know that somewhere in the world, someone downloaded this podcast, but we don't know anything about you. The folks who support this show would love to know just a little bit about who is listening. If you have two minutes, it really does only take two minutes. Help us make this show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to ListenerQ, L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q.com forward slash pull up and take the short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we would love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered in a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. Two minutes. ListenerQ.com slash pull up. That's ListenerQ.com slash pull up. I have a special guest with me right now, Evan Turner. Let's rewind it back to high school. You know, when I was a kid, you know, I always say I got blessed with, like, the, you know, the best parent on earth, which was my mom, because she always placed a higher emphasis on education. It's like a fairy tale ending. You go to Ohio State, things things go well. It really was the best decision I ever made because uh, much more than just being like uh, this basketball, I thought like I was around an environment around great people. Those dudes much more care about me than just a basketball player, but just as a person. I think the best sign of a coach or the best sign of a teammate is to uh, kick your ass and hold you accountable. The toughness that he had on us really elevated all of us to be better players. Welcome to the Marcus Smart episode of Pull Up. That's right, number 36. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are currently in Houston. If you haven't noticed the laugh, I have a special guest with me right now. Jordan's with us as well. Uh, just landed in Houston not too long ago. We had practice, uh, took a shower, and E.T. was kind enough to jump right on the pod. I will do the, the famous introductions in a second, but first, I have an announcement to make. The Browns have five wins. <laughs> We are 5-7-1. and one. If we win out, there's a good chance we can win the division. We just need some help from the Steelers, Ravens, among other teams. For the next three episodes, because it's the holidays, we'll be reading a trivia question on the show. You can leave your answer as a reply to the pinned tweet on Pull Up's Twitter. And a few lucky winners who get the answer right will win some of my leaning swag. The winner this week will be contacted on Twitter and announced on next week's show. That's how we'll do this each week. Also, in order to win, you must be following Pull Up on Twitter. I repeat, you must be following the Pull Up pod on Twitter. Good luck. Here's the first question. Who was my favorite basketball player growing up? Get to it now. Without further ado, Jordan Schultz, welcome to the Pull Up Pod as always. Thank you, CJ. But the real, the real guest this week is Evan Turner. The real guest this week. <laughs> he was drafted in the first round, second pick from The Ohio State University out of Chicago. He's 32 He's 30 years old, not 32 years old, 30 years old. Career averages of 10, 5, 3 and a half. Let's go to the college statistics. First team All-American in 2010. 2010 National Player of the Year. Two-time Big Ten scoring champion. 2010 Big Ten Player of the Year. Conference record holder for most career and single season record for Conference Player of the Week awards. Jersey in the rafters. Made the playoffs in Philly in his first two seasons. Without further ado, Evan Turner. The myth the met the, the myth, the legend here himself. What's up, man? What's up? Thanks for having me. This is serious. I, I just started my own podcast, and you're way more professional than I am. So thanks for showing me how to how to get this going. This is definitely fun. Um, I'm excited. It's a long time coming. I've been trying to get on CJ's podcast for like a year, but we got like the worst schedule in the NBA. So. You know, to, to to get her done is harder than what you think. Yeah, we do. We have a, we have a terrible schedule, but I, I'm glad we we're able to do it in person. I, I've been slacking. I've been supposed to get a headphone connector for like I don't know 30 episodes. The 30 episodes ago, I was supposed to get a headphone connector. That's what I never are did. For. 
Yeah, I was gonna send the rookies to do it, but the 11 a.m. flight, it was like yeah. I ain't want a young fella to miss his to miss his time and get fined and, and lose yeah, money. True. So that's the only reason why I didn't make him get it. But after this one, we'll be able to record more pods in the future. We'll get Jordan out to Portland. We'll sit down. The next pod, we'll have wine. I actually have wine over there, but oh, nice. I brought my own drink. I'm good. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> uh, I'll make sure I gift you uh, something on the way out. Appreciate. It. Yeah, so let's let's take it back now. Take it back to Chicago, the early days. First, let's go to childhood. Read your bio. You told me a little bit about you know what it was like to grow up in Chicago. You know your love for basketball, love for sports in general. A lot of people may not know you were hit by a car when you were younger. Uh, yeah, I was like three years old. Um, if you see like the top corner of my head, I have like a little scar. And uh, we were taking a bus home. Me, my mom, and my brother. My brother Darius. So he's like four. You know, I used to throw like little tantrum tantrums as a kid. So my mom was like, hold his hand, hold his hand, or whatever. Whenever I remember, I just remember letting go of my brother's hand and running out in the street. I got hit by a car. And next thing I remember, I was in the, in the ambulance with like a big light over me, my mom panicking and stuff. I was afraid of needles. So I just remember being like, I don't want a shot. Like, I don't, I don't want a shot. And my mom's kind of like, fool, you about to die. Like, you know what I'm saying? That type of thing. And I remember, you know, you know, a good Lord must have been, you know, watching over me because I remember when I got hit by a car, my mom said, like, an ambulance was already a block away. And then uh, by the time I got to the hospital, they stitched me up. My mom said I popped, like, 10 feet in the air when I got hit by the car, landed on my head. She thought I broke my neck. But, you know, luckily, the only thing that happened, I limped for, like, three days, and that was it. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, that was legit it. So I got lucky with that. And then... uh yeah, that was it. I mean, it was just a, a, a crazy memory that we somewhat laugh at. Me and my brother laugh at, but my mom still doesn't find it funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very serious. And I think when you told me the story, I was like, I can't believe you got hit by a car so young. You know what I'm saying? Landed on your head. Everything yeah. everything worked out. You end up making it to the league, having a successful career. But it's kind of crazy how life works and you know how those little traumas and experiences kind of shape our future or sometimes you know encourage us that anything is possible yeah. in this life. No, I think it didn't hit me until, obviously, um, uh, I was talking to my guy, uh, John Diebler, his wife, uh, Caitlin Diebler. And I remember like five or six years ago, she was like, dang, I didn't know you got hit by a car before. And then I was like, yeah. And then she was like, then other things that happened to you. And she's like, that's crazy. And then when she said it, she was just like, it means like you're here for a reason. And I never really put that, you know what I'm saying? Put that together. So, you know, God willing, you know, I, I just try to make sure I find my, you know, continue to find my purpose, and, and that's pretty much it. I think you're doing a great job of finding your purpose, and uh, you, you commented on how professional this pod is, man. You should have seen how we started. You know? <laughs> it's it's taken a lot to get to this point, and yeah. not just me talking in public. I used to be afraid of, of speaking, public yeah. speaking, so I took it in college, yeah. and I've gotten more comfortable with it now. I just try to have like I just try to have a normal conversation, yeah. and every now and then I throw in big words and, and try to use proper punctuation, but. Right. Uh, started with radio. It, as you as you continue to progress, it'll get it'll get so much easier yeah. when you're doing the pod, and it'll flow. And, and I always try to I take a little bit of notes, but for the most part, I just like depending on what guest it is, I research the guest, get, a, get an idea of their background. But obviously, yeah. I know you, so then the conversation just it flows so much better when you yeah. do it like that. So that would be my only advice: do a little bit of research on the guest, and then try to make it so that it's a a long conversation. Yeah, and it'll, it'll be, and you, oh, no, you're no. funny as it is, anyway. Oh no, no, I, I you know, I, I really, you know, I try to enjoy having like authentic convos. So you know, I, I definitely comprehend that in, in a sense of like, you know, I obviously have a little bit of notes, but you know, whatever pops, you know, I, I've only done three episodes, but but whatever pops up in my mind or on a topic of conversation, we just you know dive into that. But this is uh, 
it's definitely legit. I always knew about uh, how how interested you were in journalism. So it's pretty cool to see the the, the mastermind of it. Yeah, this is it, man. See, <laughs> at, at a desk chilling, man. I feel like early on when we were trying to create the show, the our our whole thought process was to be as detailed as possible with the with our rundowns going in, and. It's not that it was bad, but it's gotten a lot better when it's more free flowing. When we just have like general ideas, I feel like. Okay. Yeah. No. Of course. I think that's 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 how you make a classic. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You can't really plan a great day; it just happens. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And I think you hit on the head. General topics is the best. So we usually write out general topics. Like I got in the phone right now. I got uh, St. Joe's. St. Joe's. St. Joe's or St. Joseph's? St. St. Joe's. St. Joseph. Yeah. Whatever. So. Let's let's rewind it back to high school. Yeah. In high school at St. Joe's, taking the bus every day, and you you kind of joked about it in Minnesota, how you know even after games you have to take the bus back home. Yeah. Uh, long rides. How was the commute to school? Did you understand at that point uh, what what going to that type of school was doing for your future uh, in terms of just basketball education, academics, who was around you, all that stuff? No, I didn't really comprehend it until later. You know, when I was a kid, you know, I always say I got blessed like the you know. God bless like the you know the best parent on earth, which is my mom. Because when I was a kid, from what I remember, she's always like, "Hey, you're going to college." Like when I was five, I didn't know any difference. Like you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't know how rare or how you know regular kids decide not to go to school. Like she always placed a higher product, you know, a higher uh, you know higher point emphasis on education. So you know, I moved to the West Side of Chicago when I was 11. I lived on a, from like age like probably. Like Probably like from what I remember, like eight to eleven, I lived uh, eight to ten. I lived uh, on the south side, but we would always take, uh, you know, we always use like a family member's address, and I would go to a school in a better district. You know what I'm saying? I didn't comprehend it, but my mom was like, "Hey, you, uh, the books are better, the kids are, you know, the, the environment's way better." And you know, she always just say, "You'll appreciate it when you're older." So you know, obviously, when I hit 14, I knew for sure I wasn't going to Farragut, which was a Chicago public school. It was in my district. That's where Kevin Garnett went. You know, if you ever been to Chicago public schools and get a little wild. So I remember uh, my older brother went to St. Joe's. He was 12 years older than me, 11 years older than me. So I was familiar with the school already. And uh, Coach Pinator, he was. Uh, I still talk to him to this day. If you ever seen Hoot Dreams, that's uh, that's what the movie's based off of. Isaiah Thomas went there. And, uh, you know, Arthur A.G., William Gates, and Coach Pinatore is an all-time winning coach in uh, national high school basketball history. So um, I remember when I turned 14, um, my mom was basically like, you're going to St. Joe. So every day I wake up at like 5.30 a.m., I would uh, I would take the bus to school. So I would have to take two buses. So I would have to take uh, the bus from, you know, I lived on Cermak and Pulaski. My school was on Cermak and Wolf. So, uh, you know, usually if we drove, it's like a 25-minute bus ride, but, you know, certain days, like an hour, hour and a half. So I would take the bus from Cermak and Pulaski to Cicero on Cermak, which is in a Mexican neighborhood, wait to cross over from the CTA bus to the Pace bus, and I would take the Pace bus, like, 35 minutes all the way to Westchester. Jeez. Yeah, so I would do that rain, sleet, or snow. And if you know Chicago, the— yeah, it's cold, but the city does a great job of cleaning the streets when it's like a snowstorm, so there's never any days off. So I remember always having to do that, uh, <laughs> you know, just wake up. And I, some nights I want to get home to like 10 at night, you know what I'm saying? Because I would have practice and stuff, and we only had—St. Joe's is such a small a small school, so 
you know, every every both girls and boys team had to use the gym. So our practice would be from seven to nine at night. So I remember having to go, and sometimes sometimes I I want to get home until ten thirty, eleven at night, and you know repeat. But turnarounds. Yeah, when I got there, um, you know, my first two years of school was an all boys school. The uh, the girls school was uh, immaculate heart of Mary. So you know, all boys school that, that atmosphere it was weird at first, but it was dope because uh, you know I, I thought I could focus more. You know, I thought I could focus on education on top of uh, Coach Pinatore, like the standard of uh, you know. Even if I was able to get away with things in school, he kind of held me to a higher standard where, you know, he, he taught me early on that, you know, being an idiot or being a jerk is never going to pay off. And he also taught me how to work. You know what I'm saying? And he, he uh, I think he did a, did a great job of giving me a steady diet of, you know, confidence on, on top of that, but also just like you haven't done anything yet, like where I see you going to or where you can get to if you reach your potential. Is, is to the NBA. So I think when it came down to that, along with, uh, you know, along with the perseverance and, you know, and, and the hard work I put in, along with the, you know, strong, you know, support from my family, I, I think it was a big reason why I was able to uh, stay out of trouble and go on and, you know, make it to the NBA and, you know, and also, you know, do things like get back. Eventually, originally when I went there, um, I played the freshman team. I, I walked into high school at 5'10", so I was going through like a, a weird, uncoordinated stage of my life. I grew four inches that year, so I didn't really play that well or play that much my freshman year of high school, so I was on the freshman team. And then that's, that's that freshman year going to my sophomore year, I was 6'2". I worked on my game a lot, and uh, I was able to uh, I play sophomore. So I, I didn't play varsity, and I played sophomore, so I played well enough to move up for the varsity playoffs and I only played one game in the playoffs and it's a blowout but I was able to put up 20 points in that fourth quarter and, yeah, and I never played again and then my junior year I was able to move up and you know play for a number one team in the state myself Demetri McKamey he went to Illinois Garrett Leffelman he went to Brown and then uh yeah, we all right and then uh Jonathan Peoples went to Notre Dame we ended up losing to uh Jacob Poland and uh, yeah, Brian Carwell, who went to Illinois. That's a big rivalry. That's where Mike Finley went, uh, Shannon Brown, those dudes. And then uh, my senior year, I was able to, by that time, I was top 50 in the country. I was committed to the Ohio State. And, uh, you know, we, we had a pretty big year. We ended up losing to Derrick Rose and Simeon, which went on to be the two-time state champions uh, to go down state. So it was a... Uh, it was definitely a up and down winding, you know, winding star in a sense, but it definitely uh, paid off through hard work. I think that's where I learned how to work, honestly. And uh, I think those times of being on a bus and those times of, uh, those times of, you know, not knowing what was going to happen because most of the stars, I guess, always play varsity as a freshman. I, I, you know, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, it's it's written early on, and yeah, like even D Rose, like a lot of those guys early on in their career, like even Koof. Yeah, uh, close to being in high yeah. school, like they're ranked in the country as freshmen, yeah, and it kind of just takes off from there. So for you to play freshman as a freshman, <laughs> yeah, a sophomore, and, and as a sophomore not play varsity to the last game, like that's the turnaround from basically getting getting the scholarship and becoming what did it say? You you had a ninety six grade on ESPN, so you went from essentially unranked to best player at your position by yeah. the time you were a senior. Yeah. That's a crazy turnaround. So that's a, a credit to your hard yeah. work, man. Yeah, I don't know like really how you felt about it, but um. And when you were going through it, because I see the pictures, you were little as hell, <laughs> like everything. Like, but Man. did you, you kind of know already, like regardless of which, that you were going to, you know what I'm saying, explode in a sense? You know what I'm saying? It was, 
I, I say just uh, a confidence and the swagger that was just in like in, indebted in myself and like the neighborhood. Growing up in a neighborhood, you have to be confident yeah. in yourself, and it's almost like a false bravado. Yeah. Like you believe, even when you don't believe. I always said that. I always thought I was going to the league, even when I didn't believe it. Yeah. Like I had this confidence in me that I was working harder than everybody else. Yeah. I had a nice jump shot, but I had to put a lot of stuff together, yeah. and I was small. So I used to always say, when I get taller, the game will slow down. Yeah. It'll get easier for me, but. It was some. It was some dark times, yeah, man. No like I, I always say, everybody goes through dark times. And for me, it was freshman year. I was five two, one hundred and eight pounds. Sophomore year, I was five six, one fifteen. Yeah. I remember it because I used to get on the scale and be like, "Dang!" <laughs> so I was five six five seven hundred fifteen pounds. My brother had just went to school, so it was like yeah. I was the only child. Yeah, and it was hard for me. Like my brother wasn't there to push me to work out. He wasn't yeah. there to rebound for me. He wasn't there to count my shots because yeah. he did all that stuff. I yeah. just showed up. Yeah. So I had to kind of do it on my own, be independent. I had to make food when I got home until yeah. my mom got back from work at five. Yeah. And uh, it was a tough time for me. And I remember I scored zero points in the game for the first time in my life. And uh, I scored zero twice that year. Against St. V, I had zero and somebody else. And I told my mom, I was like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, I yeah. don't know if like, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. Yeah. And she was like, ain't no quitters. I ain't raised no quitters. Yeah. You gonna finish this year out. And I used to tell her all the time that, I said, I'm putting too much time into basketball. I'm not able to, to get grades. Like I yeah. said, you told me I need to get a scholarship. Yeah. I said, I'm not getting one in basketball <laughs> right now. I have zero scholarships. I said, I need to be able to, to get a 3.8 to 4.2 GPA yeah. to get a scholarship in, in, in academics. And she yeah. was like, you'll figure it out. You know what I'm saying? Take your time and uh, just trust just trust the hard work and it'll all pay off. And I almost quit my sophomore year. So I finished my sophomore year. My brother comes home and he's like, bro, you got to figure this out. He's like, you got one year to, you got one year to put yourself on the map. You need to be really good at something. Yeah. And I was always a scorer. So for me, like I always tell you, I was like, I could always score for myself. That was easy for me. It was easy to get around my man. I just was small. Yeah. So when I got to 5'11", the game was, it was yeah, really easy. Like, sure, I was like, yeah, you're doing it for, yeah, I was getting space as a 5'6", dude. So when I was 5'11", yeah. it was like two more inches of space to, to get my shot off. My form went, got a little higher. I, my handle got better. In my first career start, I broke the school record, 54 yeah. points and hit, hit eight threes. And I had, I had averaged... I averaged six points a game coming off the bench. I went from six to 25. That's crazy. And my brother used to say, he was like, what do you think you're going to average this year, my junior year? And I was like, 20. He was like, you put in enough work to average 18. He was like, if you average 18, you'll get a scholarship offer. Yeah. I was like, well, I need to average 25 then because I don't want to get one. Yeah. I want a bunch. Yeah, yeah, and right. My dad was like, what you going to do tonight, first game of the year? And I was like, I'm going to score 50. That's and crazy. he laughed. And after the game, I said, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. No, it's crazy. And as you get older, it's like that inner that inner confidence. I always I always notice. If you go back to like my high school, I remember even during like my darkest times, whatever. I have no reason why I felt this way, but um, there's a I was a freshman. There's there a junior named Tony Freeman. He was like the biggest thing walking, and he's always do this chant called. It used to be like Tony Freeman, yeah. like that. You know what I'm saying? So in Spanish class, I used to uh, sit behind like the best kid on the sophomore team. So I used to walk down the hallway. I used to do a chant like Evan, Turner, like that. You know what I'm saying? So I used to always do that. I remember the kid, Tyrese Sinet, we, we were, you know, joking around with each other. He'd be like, yo, stop doing that chant. You weak as hell. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you would say stuff like that, like, you weak. I used to always be like, look, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be the best thing walking. I, used to, I don't know why I would say that because I wasn't hitting on shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he'd be like, yo, I just like, I'm going to be the man. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to be the coldest dude out. Like, I'm telling you, like, I, for some reason, I just knew, like, I didn't know, but, like, I just knew, like, being weak was not my, like, was right. not my path. 
You spoke I, it into existence. Yeah, and I remember I used to go like the playoff games, maybe going crazy uh, for Tony Freeman. I was just a freshman in the stands. I used, I used to sit there and be like, yo, people don't even know they're sitting next to Evan Turner. Like in my head, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like they don't know they'll be chanting for me or rooting for me or like, they just don't know. Like, and, and for some reason, me and my best friend Dorian, we watch highlights of people like Lou Williams, like when he's, in, you know what I'm saying? Right, when he's a Georgia. Lou Williams, Sean Livingston, like all those dudes. And I remember being like, man, I can't wait till I'm older. And he was like, why? And I was like, I, I feel like something special is going to happen. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And from there, like, I just always thought, like, man, I'm, I'm going to be, like, I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be the man. I remember uh, the day I was getting drafted, my dude, Tyrese, hit me up. And he was like, damn, bro, that's crazy. Like, you said it was going to be like this. You know what I'm saying? And during right. that time, I came off as just like a psycho saying that because I was barely even, like, getting minute, minutes on a freshman team. Right. You know what I'm saying? And right. it's just funny you look back on it, like, it's like, you know, you just, you don't, I always say like, man, as long as you live and you got an opportunity to fight and you just don't know what's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? And that's, yeah. and that's what, uh, I guess that's the blessing that paid out for us. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's facts. That's fact. That's a nice antidote right there too. Evan, I feel like most people probably don't know how big of a deal it is to go downstate in Illinois when you go to Champaign and uh, it's Assembly Hall, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... No, actually, so it used to be Assembly Hall, then it was on the campus of, uh, I believe it was on campus of Bradley when, when I was around. So it, it's, it's actually funny. So so when you go downstate in Illinois, because back then it was only two classes when I was there. Now they switched it up to four classes. So it's two classes, big school, basically little school. And it went by population, but we only had like 300 students, so, but we still... Did big school. So usually the super sectional, when we lost to Derrick Rose and his team, that was to go down state. So basically when you by Simeon, time, right? Yeah, Simeon. So by the time you get down state, the first game may be tough. And that's usually another city team. And then the next two games are not they're not easy, but they're somewhat easy because it's usually like a southern school. It's not the city school. So I've never gone down state uh, as a player because uh, we usually lost in a super sectional to either Simeon or Proviso East. But to get down there, that's a, that's a big deal. And Derrick Rose, uh, his team, they're the only city team to ever win two state titles, and, and they, they did their thing. But it was definitely uh, that's that's a war to get downstate. How much different was Coach Pingator from what we saw in Hoop Dreams? Like, had he mellowed out by the time you were there? No, he wasn't mellow. <laughs> he wasn't mellow at all. You still, I guess he was. He young was the guy. same. He was, like he, he was like Bobby Knight Jr. to me. Yeah, yeah no, he was wilding out. No, no, he was wild. Like, you know, he mellowed out in, in that regard because as you get older, you know, the 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 laws of uh, dealing with kids is a little bit different. But I think the standard, in a sense, uh, he was definitely tough. You know what I'm saying? I think one thing about him. Uh, when I went back or whatever after when I was in college, I went back to watch a practice. It was like he wanted perfection in a sense. You know what I'm saying? I, I remember sitting at practice and seeing him have uh, seeing him have the kids work on a press on a press. And I remember five straight times, like the second team didn't cross half court. On the sixth time, they they crossed half court. The guy still got a steal. He, uh, the first team still got a steal, and he uh, he whistled. He, he stopped the play. And I was like, that's horse shit. He got pissed. Like, that's horse shit. They shouldn't be crossing half court. And, like, in my head, I was like, oh, my God. Like, he tricked us all into, like, he, we all got so much better because he demanded perfection. So, like, he never, ever, like, patted you on the back for winning, like, 20 straight games. Like, my, my junior year, we were 28-2. and two. Like, you know what I'm saying? And, like, <laughs> and like you would, you would thought we didn't do anything because he, he – 
he wanted us to reach our full potential. So I think like the toughness that he had on us really elevated all of us to be better players. Wow. And I think when it comes down to it, like the flop that he got from like hoot dreams and things like that, I think that's the difference between and no disrespect to anybody, I think that's the difference between average people and people that get to where they're supposed to go. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. some people would say he was harsh, but I think the the best sign of a culture, the best sign of a team, it is to uh kick your ass and hold you accountable. And I think he always did that. You know what I'm saying? When I was a senior, you know, he would have me sweep the floor before practice. You know what I'm saying? I was the best dude walking, you know what I'm saying? Like walking, you know, one of the best players in the state. And he's like, you know, it's good for, you know, your morale is good. You know, it's good that you always have to have that type of work, you know, work in you. You know what I'm saying? So I think, uh, I think one thing that judging from who dreams that I hated was like, it kind of made him come off as a heartless person. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, I know for sure there's kids that didn't play for him or whatever. He made sure they got into college and made sure he they, they found a place to play in college. You know what I'm saying? Or he helped my brother out get into school. Or You know what I'm saying? Like I thought he always tr- treated everybody fair. Even though if it was tough, he treated everybody fair. And I think uh, from Hoot Dreams or whatever, they kind of made it seem like he used players and he did this and he did that. Like, he never ever, to this day, he never asked me for anything and I made all this money, like anything. He's always been there to support. Every time I called, he's always picked up the phone. You know, he's just a a, 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 a great mentor and just a great person. And, um, you know, obviously, I, I think I need that toughness as as a, as a as a young man growing up in the wild city of Chicago, you know, in a single parent home. Yeah, wow. I gotta go watch Hoop Dreams again so yeah, I can repaint the to. picture. Oh. You got to repaint it, the picture. It is a great I'll bring movie. Him out to Portland one time. I'll bring him out to Portland. He's a good dude, bro. You'll be yeah. shocked. He's a real good dude. He's he's like uh, he's like the mayor of Westchester. He's that's my guy. He comes every Christmas and everything. Yeah, you gotta have him pull up for sure. We've got more pull up in a minute, but first, I want to talk about Eero. Eero Plus is designed to provide simple, reliable security that defends all your home's devices against a growing number of threats, such as malware, spyware, phishing attacks, as well as unsuitable content. The combination of Eero with Eero Plus provides complete protection for your network and all the devices, and those who use them, as they connect to the internet. With Eero, you get total network protection. Eero Plus offers the ability to block malicious and unwanted content across your entire network. Advanced security. By checking the sites you visit against a database of millions of known threats, Eero Plus prevents you from accidentally visiting malicious sites without slowing anything down. Content blocking. Eero Plus automatically tags sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content. So you can choose what your kids can and cannot visit right in the Eero app. Ad blocking. Get rid of annoying ads and pop-ups on all your devices. Ad blocking also improves load times for ad-heavy sites so you can browse and stream faster than ever before. Plus, third-party security apps, VPN protection from Encrypt.me, password management from 1Password, antivirus software from Malwarebytes. With Eero, you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. Simply download the Eero app on your iOS or Android devices, and it'll walk you through each step of the process. It's quick, easy, and painless. And Eero has incredible customer support. Their experts will talk to you through everything and give you advice on how many Eeros are right for your home, which I love. It's easy and prevents tons of tech headaches. Never think about Wi-Fi again. Get $100 off Eero base unit and two Beacons packages and one year of Eero Plus. Visit Eero.com backslash pull up and at checkout, enter pull up. Let's get back to the show. We briefly touched on Ohio State. 
obviously, I've gone back with you. E- for those of you that don't know, E.T. was nice enough to, to have me come out to my first ever football game. Being from Ohio, I had never been to a, a game in Columbus. And we went to the game, uh, ironically, against Oklahoma, Baker Mayfield. Uh, he played oh, amazing. Yeah, the irony of yeah. all that. Yeah. He, he, Baker Mayfield plays amazing. He puts plants to flag in the middle of the field afterwards. I, E.T. was like, how many people are you going to bring? I'm like, yeah, just like eight to ten. I bring like 14 of my homies from Canton. We all come up. We all get field passes. It was it was a great time. I owe him big time, and I'm going to take him to an SEC game. But more of the story is that E.T. runs Ohio State. E.T. is like <laughs> oh, the no. mayor. He's like the mayor of Ohio State. So that leads me to my next question. You could have went to anywhere in the country. Why did you choose Ohio State? And how thankful are you for the opportunities that they provided for you? Obviously, you could have probably had a successful career anywhere you went, but it just seems like – it was like it was like a fairy tale ending. You go to Ohio State, things things go well. You hit the shot against Michigan, then you break your back, and then you overcome that and you top two pick in the draft. Um, so uh, my dad, my dad's from Ashville, Ohio. So uh, I used to go visit Ohio as a kid, and when I, I turned like ten, he moved to Reynoldsburg, Ohio, which is like twenty minutes outside of Columbus. So um, remember my first time visiting there, uh, Ohio State. During that year, it was 1999, so Ohio State had made it to the Final Four with Scooney Penn and Mike Red. Michael Red, yeah. So I remember showing up, and I remember how crazy everybody was going for that, like just a Buckeye, you know what I'm saying, a Buckeye feel. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. So now I go back that summer, and I go to Clark Kellogg's basketball camp. I went on uh, MVP there, I remember, and I remember just like going to the sports camps at Ohio State, and I remember looking around like, damn, like, People in Columbus show much, like crazy love to the Buckeyes. Like in Chicago, when I grew up, it could be Notre Dame, it could be DePaul, maybe Illinois, depending on how they're doing in a sense. But it hit me. I had never really comprehended. Like I'd never really seen a city like show so much love. So I remember, I remember exactly where I was walking. It's a walk from my dad's house past his home depot uh, in Reynoldsburg to this little corner store, this little gas station. I think it's like a Thornton's and. Uh, it's always body Snickers and shit. And I remember thinking, like, man, it'd be crazy. I was like 12. I was like 12 or 13. It's around that age. And I was like, it'd be crazy if I came back and played for Ohio State. So as I was going on and on and, or whatever, and I, I had, like, a lot of offers from school, uh, I played in the first ever King James tournament. We go up against John Diebler. And uh, I remember we go up against John Diebler. And before the game, John Diebler's an all-time uh, Big Ten uh, three-point leader or a leader in three-point field goals, whatever. So I remember my coach was like, you're about to go up against the best shooter you've ever seen. And I'm like, there's no way. Like, I, I played with a great shooter. And um, when, when I went out there, he had, like, four straight threes from, like, the volleyball line. Like, he was crossing me up. And I remember being like, oh, I'm about to bust his ass. So ended up having a good game. I remember Coach Mata was in the stands. And uh, he offered me a scholarship like that week. I show up, whatever. I, originally, I was thinking about going to Wisconsin the whole time. And I met, uh, I, I was thinking about going to Wisconsin. I went, I took a little unofficial visit to Ohio State. You know what I'm saying? I was kind of familiar with it already, but I liked the program, liked the coaches and everything like that. I ended up going to NBA Top 100 camp and John Debers there, Costa Kufis, and Dallas Lauderdale. So they were like, Bro, you need to come to Ohio State. Like, it's going to be crazy. You know what I'm saying? Yada, I do. Like, all that stuff. So when it turned out, I'm like, damn, like, this is where I want to be at. So June 28th, 2006, I pulled the trigger. And um, it really was the best decision I ever made because uh, I think much more than just being, like, uh, 
is basketball. I thought like I was surrounded in an environment around great people. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, you, like, you know, I hang out with them. Not, I, I live in Columbus during the off season and Diebler, Dallas, David Lighty, all those dudes are like my brother. It turned out to be like, you know, a brotherhood. You, you came to the, you came to like the little pre-practice and we're all back there kicking it. Jared Sondra, everybody is like, Family. I, yeah, big family. I thought like those dudes much more care about me than just a basketball player, but just as a person. And um, you know, oh, a lot of a lot of that success to them and Coach Mata for, you know, helping me get over the humps of my rough spots, you know what I'm saying? So that that was really just it really started years before that, but you know, it worked out the way it did. Even when I wanted to quit, I had the right the right type of surroundings to help me you know what I'm saying yeah that's crazy how life comes full circle yeah. I, I was reading like your dad your dad lived in Ohio I didn't know he was in Reynoldsburg which yeah. is really close to to the campus but that's crazy how like 10, 11, 12 and then you fast forward to 18 and you go to Ohio State yeah and, or like the Clark Kellogg camp like, you know what I'm saying? and Clark Kellogg is a legend yeah, uh, yeah, Ohio yeah. State yeah. legend and Funny story for you. I played against John Deaver. So, 06 was my my freshman year. Okay. So, John broke the Ohio record. He scored 77 points in the yeah. game. So, <laughs> oh. for people that don't know, John Deaver is like 6'6", six, six, like pigeon toe, white kid. So when you see him, you're you're, you're it's, he's unassuming. Yeah. I seen him, I was like, this is the guy who leads the leads the country <laughs> in scoring, and he scored he scored a good fifty on us, and fifty or fifty five because we played at the Ohio State shootout or whatever oh, yeah, every yeah. year. He scored like fifty five on my brother and him, and I was just watching like this dude is no, cold, no, like crazy. unbelievable. Yeah, a lot of people don't know like he, back then he didn't even look at the line, like you know what I'm saying. He, he was just looking, raised. Yeah, he was just raising up from thirty feet out, and it was just crazy because. Uh, I remember asking him about that 77-point game. And he's like, low-key, it was a quiet 77. I'm like, how is it a quiet 77? He's like, I had like five threes, but like a lot of free throws, you know? Free throws and layups. I'm like, bro, it was a 32-minute game. You scored 77 points. How the hell was it a quiet 77? And prior to that, I got a – so how my recruitment started, I called the Ohio State coach like like December – Christmas of 2006, Alan Major. He wrote me a letter or whatever, a little bit. This is before Coach Monet saw me, like two months before Coach Monet saw me. And he said, yo, give me a call, you know, whatever. So I was so excited. I called on Christmas. So we're talking a bit. And he said, well, you know, scholarships are kind of here and there. And, you know, uh, you know, this is before, uh, I think this is before, like, it was Christmas 05, I believe. It was before um, the Daquan Cook, Mike Conley, David oh, yeah, Lighty. Othello, you know, the Thad Five, Othello, Hunter, Grego, and of course, for they, they they were seniors and I was a junior. So I remember uh, it's kind of like, you know, we, we we have a couple guys committed, Costa Kufis, you know, uh, Dallas Lardo. So we have a, a top scorer out of Upper Sandusky. And like in my head, I was like, all right, bro, like, Upper Sandusky, Ohio, like, how good could this kid be? I'm from Chicago. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, in my head, I'm like, I'm from Chicago. So you're telling me, you're going to have to see me play even more to offer me. A, you know, back then, I'm like, to offer me a scholarship. In my head, I was like, I wasn't like the most confident, but I'm like, bro, I'm going, like, in my head, I just already knew, like I said, I was like, I'm going to be, like, legit. Like, right. You know what I'm saying? And then when I pulled up three months later and saw John Deep, I'm like, oh, this dude can play, play. And then, you know, from there, we, we were able to do some great things. But, you know, Ohio, you know, sometimes I forget I'm not even from there, but it's always been, like, a, a big part of my life, for real. Evan, what was Thad like? Because I, I was talking to Jake Diebler, John's brother, and obviously close friend of yours, he was on the staff um, when you were in Columbus. And he was telling me that Thad was the kind of guy that was like crazy passionate about basketball, but could relate to players and like really young at heart. 
and that he really helped mold a lot of these, a lot of young men. Is that is that fair? No, it's, it's overly fair to say. I think one thing I appreciate, especially judging from like other people's experience, because like I I still talk to dad all the time. I still talk to the coaches I played for, but like it was always like a lighthearted atmosphere. You know what I'm saying? I think Coach Mata. He expected you to get your work done, and I think as you earn respect, he respected you, he, he like respected you uh, to give you freedom and space, and everything like that. But I think one thing was like he always he, he held you accountable, and you know he never really wasted his voice in a sense. Not to uh, in regards to like criticize. Sometimes you get those tough minded coaches that are like, "You did this wrong. You did that wrong." Like when he yelled, you knew you were wrong. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I yeah. think uh, much more like aside from that, like. I just thought he was just, I thought he was good in, in the atmosphere of like, hey, sometimes like we might not be scoring or we might not be doing this or that. And he he keep it simple. Like, hey, you guys scored in high school. You guys are this good. We do all this drill work. There's nothing, there's no luck about it. There's no nothing about it. It's like, this is what you're supposed to do. You know what I'm saying? And I think he, he kept it simple. And I think he did a, a lot of great things to get the most out of his players. And I always said, like, the best thing that he did also, too, was he, he, he not only did he build teams, but he, he built lifetime bonds with people. You know what I'm saying? We, we're all still tight. We're all still family. It wasn't just like we went to college, played together for three years. Like, it, it's a brotherhood. It's a frat. And um, I think that was, like, a big blessing, especially compared to to when I hear other people's college, you know, stories and traditions. They, just, they were just teammates, you know? Wow. CJ, did you have that at Lehigh? Obviously, a smaller school, but— did you experience some of that? Uh, a little bit. Obviously, you know, Ohio State is, I don't know, what you guys got, 20,000 students? We got like 60. Oh, my goodness. They got 60,000 students. So on a smaller <laughs> scale, it's definitely, it's definitely family-oriented. You know, we had 4,500, 4,600 undergrad. I still kick it with my friends to this day. I'm still really good friends with my roommates. I'm sure they'll come to my wedding. Uh, when I'm in the city <laughs> in New York, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope they accept my invitation to the wedding. But I think that you you build those type of relationships based on personalities. And Ohio State is one of those types of schools that recruits a certain type of player. Lehigh is a, a type of university where, although my college roommate was from Traverse City, Michigan, and one was from uh, Des Moines, Iowa, we all got along. Me being from Canton, Ohio, I was the one that was probably the only one from an inner city, but I, I could relate to them because I went to a big public school where I was exposed to a lot. So um, they they got me in the library. I got them in the gym and we kind of made things work out. And now we kind of look back and laugh at, you know, there's a reason why my roommates were Dean's List and I didn't make Dean's List till my junior year. And there's also a reason why I was All-American, you know, as a freshman in college because of, you know, how I played and how I approached the game. So we kind of all got each other on the same page. And even now, it's funny when we like reach out to each other and see it's it's good to see how well they're doing and, and taking advantage of the degree we received from Lehigh University. So shout out to my roommates, Gabe and, and Holden. And uh, this will be a test to see if they're actually listening to my podcast because I'm not even going to tell them that I shouted them out. Man, that was crazy. Tell me about the Duke game, bro. To beat Duke, for one, to play Duke, because I never got a chance to do that in college, but to beat Duke, that had to have been crazy. Yeah, man, it was like a... It was like a combination shout of shout out Seth Curry, shout out to Seth Curry, <laughs> yeah, shout out to Seth Curry. But it was like a combination of like all your hard work kind of paying off. It's like when you you go through making a tournament. My freshman year, we played against Kansas, and they had T Rob. Uh, T Rob didn't even play. They had the Morris twins. They had Cole Aldridge, Xavier Henry, yeah, Sharon Collins, Sharon Collins, Sharon Collins, yeah. Chicago. Yeah, he was very yeah, good. Yeah, so I played against them as a. 
I was six to 165 pounds, but I was getting baskets. So like I was out there, I hit my brother after the game and I was like, I'm gonna be ready for the league. Like, I always thought I was going to the league, yeah. but once I played against them and seen they had like 10 league guys and they couldn't check me and I was skinny. Yeah. I had no muscle, I was like dumb athletic. I was like, I got I got three years to really put my game together. So fast forward, I lose the Bucknell in the, in the uh, semifinals, so I don't get to go to the tournament. I don't get yeah, to go to the championship. That's the year you lost your POI to Muscala? Yes, yeah, the year Muscala stole my player of the year. That's and then my junior year, it was the Duke game was great, but honestly, beating beating Bucknell and Bucknell in the championship, it was like a wet dream, bro. I was so yeah. <laughs> I was so no, happy. I, I see some of those conference games, and they do look lit. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. And those fans, they hated me. So I got to walk into the center of their court and just put my hands in the air <laughs> like, ah, get out of here. So oh, that's crazy. we fast forward. And I had been watching Duke um, all year because Austin Rivers was on TV all yeah, the time. all the time, yeah. And he was the number one player in the country for my class and well, for that class coming yeah. out. So fast forward to the selection show, we get Duke. And I start, like the videos out, I start dabbing people up like, oh, we got, we got us one. Yeah. And I told my bro, I was like, at the very least, like I'm getting 30. I was like, yeah. I'm going to get 30 and I'm going to keep us in the game. And my mom was filling out an NCAA bracket. So I told her, I said, have us beating Duke, have us beating Baylor. I said, have us losing in the Sweet 16. I said, I'm going to get us to the Sweet 16. I said, mm. we for sure going to beat Duke. She was like, you sure, baby? She's like, you know, I, I know you good, but she was like, you know, that is Duke. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I got us. You know so what I'm saying? Good. So like the like even before the game, like I told, like I told coach, I was like, just get me the ball early. I was like, I'm gonna make a statement early. Like I'm gonna get the team confidence going. Cause yeah. they're gonna see me out here like yeah. cursing out the bench after I hit shots, yeah. looking at Coach K. You know what I'm saying? They're gonna see me out here like playing like I'm in the backyard yeah, and they're yeah. gonna feed off of it. So yeah. first play, he calls like a, a floppy for me. I come off, I hit a I hit a two on the line. I'm I'm talking to the crowd. First two oh, I'm like, let's go. We yeah, in here. Yeah. So then that's when they kinda like they fed off of it and we ran we ended up running away. And it's funny because Mason was seven for seven, had seven dunks. That's crazy. Mason's and, an athletic freak. Yeah, he had some nasty dunks to where he just shut the crowd up. But that was that was probably like my brother was like, he was like, you want to solidify yourself. He's like, this is how you do it. This is they yeah, got tradition. Yeah, they got history. Everybody, seven million people watching. And uh, I, it's funny. I watched the blueprint. I watched Steph. I watched uh, Eric Maynard. I watched all those like mid-major players, and I kind of looked at their stats, their progression. And it was like my brother was like, if you can get to the tournament and make a name for yourself, it's over. And that's yeah. what I tried to do. Because sometimes this was really what GMs, all they have the time to watch is the tournament. Really. They might see one game. Like, it, it's crazy because my people senior can, year. Yeah, people ruin their stock in the tournament. Yeah, you can, you're, it, you're solely judged on how you perform in big games. And you could just have a bad night. But if you do, the story would have been, he's good against his competition, but he can't play against yeah. high level. It could have just been a bad night. Yeah, no. Nah. So it's it's crazy how that worked out, and I, I thought for sure if I would went to the Sweet Sixteen, I would have went pro. I would I told my mom I said we went we get to the Sweet Sixteen, I'm going pro. Yeah. I'm not coming back, and we ended up losing. And I was hungry. I was like, man, I was like, we went to the Sweet, we went, we almost went to the Sweet Sixteen, and everybody was seniors. My roommates, we was all yeah. like, and then I get I end up getting hurt. And yeah, no, but I, I respect the fact of like going back. You know what I'm saying? Because when I was a sophomore or whatever. No, because I could have went, like, lottery after my sophomore year. I averaged, like, 17, like, 7 and 4. You know what I'm saying? As a sophomore. I was, like, one of the, you know, top 15, like, wooden finalists and all that nonsense. You for sure was going to be lottery. Yeah, so at the time, though, like, I didn't want to leave school. I never won, like, a conference title. And at the time, my mom didn't really comprehend, like, what are you, like, what are you doing? Like, you know what I'm saying? 
I don't know, maybe it's like a moral code or just who you are, but I was like, like, bro, like, I'm not leaving in school, like, not having, a, like, just like, kind of like a, a loser in a sense. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, right. like, in a sense, it was like, I didn't win a conference title. You know what I'm saying? Because I didn't win a conference title, Kaylin Lucas robbed me of my Big Ten player of the year. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, nah, like, this is my name. Like, this is who we are. Like, I'm going to leave a statement on it. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, when it came back and, like, it was like my junior year, I'm like, man, I got to win this conference title. So, when I broke my back or whatever, it was like December 5th, I fell off the rim or whatever, like, in the first five minutes of the game. I remember, you know, going to the hospital, I had a transverse process fracture. So that means I broke my L2, L3 vertebrae. I remember they were like, you'll be out, you know, six to eight weeks. And I remember, uh, you know, conference at that time usually starts after, like, literally after, like, uh, New Year's Eve. So I was like, I remember starting crying right away, like, damn, like, man, like six to eight weeks. I can't do six to eight weeks because conference might be over by then. Like, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. season might be over. It might be over on top of, I know I have to leave now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know I have to go pro. I remember like being like, man, I can't, like I, I worked so hard to try to do it or whatever. So I remember, I remember, you know, the first like week I took my pain meds. I remember, uh, I remember going back to get like a second checkup with uh, Vince O'Brien, our trainer. And I remember just um, hearing, uh, I remember them saying, like, yo, it's going to be impossible for you to come back sooner, you know, especially with your career and everything. I remember, like, being so pissed. I walked from, like, the Ohio State Medical Center. He walked with me back to, like, the Schottenstein Center, which was, like, a half mile. And I could barely walk, but I was just so pissed and so heated. And, you know, Vinny was like, yo, low-key, like, you even doing that walk's crazy. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I was like, I just got re-motivated. I was just like, man, I'm, I stopped taking my pain meds. They weren't allowed to see me do anything. But at night, I would come in and start dribbling at night. You know what I'm saying? Not super fast, but decently fast. By the third week, like three and a half weeks or whatever, I was like uh, going on ellipticals. Like prior to that, I was on an underwater treadmill. Like, you know what I'm saying? I remember uh, we were playing Wisconsin, the first game of uh, the Big Ten. I think it was the first game like the Big Ten uh, of the Big Ten or whatever. And I remember I did like 40 minutes on an elliptical, and I was like, on the 40 minutes or something, like five more minutes. We're going overtime. You know what I'm saying? Right. So trying to get ready. Yeah, trying to get ready. So legit, so legit, we lose that day. We lose Michigan. I remember it was a big fuss, like, if I should come back or not. I just told my mom, I'm like, yo, I'm coming back. So I come back. We beat, we beat Indiana. And then that was, and then we beat. Uh, you had the buzzer beater. Oh yeah, that was that was that was, uh, that was a Big Ten tournament though. That was a Big Ten tournament, so that was like two months before. But we, like we had beat Indiana, then we beat uh, we had we beat we lost Minnesota, then we go to a top five Purdue. So we're one and three in conference. We beat Purdue and we went we went eleven and one to win or twelve and one and went out. I got my share of the Big Ten title. Went to the I went to uh we went to to the Big Ten tournament. Close game versus Indiana or no versus Michigan. I hit a 37-footer from there. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, hit a 37-footer from there and then, you know, went on to win uh, the conference tournament as well as the Big Ten tournament. And then I was fortunate enough with all that good good karma to win National Player of the Year. And then I left how I wanted to leave. You know what I'm saying? That's you know crazy. what I'm saying? Yeah. That's crazy how that worked out. Yeah, no, just when you, when you do right, right things come to you. You know what I'm saying? CJ, when you broke your, your foot or you fractured your that bone in your foot, your senior year, did you have any like buyer's remorse of saying oh, I should have gone? 
I should have left. <laughs> Absolutely. The first thing I said when I when I seen the X-ray, I literally first I thought I thought it was my tape. You know how you get tape too tight and you like you just cut it, retape me. I was like retape me. Right. And they took the tape right. off and right. it hurt so bad. I was like, oh my god, oh. my foot has never felt like this. So they X-rayed me. Wow. In the back at VCU, as soon as I seen the bone, they was like, you see where it broke at? Right there. I started crying and I was like. Damn, I should have left. <laughs> like I, it didn't even right. It wasn't. I, was I like, didn't get out to the university before I was like, I was like, dang, this is a sign from God. I should have left. That's like the elephant in the room, for real, for real. You be thinking about that? <laughs> like, damn, everybody think like, man, your ass should have went pro because you come from you come from a situation where you have a chance to change the trajectory of your family. Literally, the trajectory of the next generation is in your hands, and you feel like you rolled the dice with everybody's life. Like, not just yours, yeah, your yeah. mom, your dad, the rest of your family, you're in a position where you could take care of them, and you turned it down to go back to school and play for free and to get an education, and then you you don't, like, I ain't never broke, I had never broke anything before, so I didn't know what was going to happen. I was just thinking, like, there's no way they're going to want to draft me because I'm hurt. And I was like, I don't know how long I'm going to be out and if I'm going to be the same or not. Because the way I play, like, I ain't super fast, but I cut a lot. I stop and go. The way I play is just you need to have, like, good feet and good hips and stuff. So I was just, I was distraught, man. And then I had, like, I had reached out to Dame and we had started getting in contact. And he started telling me, like, you still going to be lottery. And I'm like, bro, how? Like, how am I going to go lottery, but I'm not playing the rest <laughs> of the year? And I was just thinking... Like I went back to school to get education, which was the, was the first thing. But the other thing was to go to the tournament. I'm like, dang, I'm not gonna be able to play in a tournament. They talking about six to eight weeks, and it was January. I got I broke my foot January 5th. I got surgery January 8th. I'll never forget it. I'm like, we're in January. Six to eight weeks puts me in the seat. Like seasons, I'm it's over. And knowing us, we I was like, we might lose the Bucknell. first. I didn't even get to play Bucknell again. I wanted to beat him again. Mm. I was thinking about all that stuff and and. Breaking your foot, you know, it's like on campus when you broke your back in the wintertime, you got a crutch. Oh, and, and it's snow. Was, I didn't leave the crib. I luckily broke my broke my back during the winter, like winter, like winter. Oh, winter break. Yeah. Man, I had to crutch the class, bruh. I was slipping in ice. I fell. It was embarrassing. I fell down the stairs. It was just like, it was the most humbling thing besides getting DMPs as a pro. That is the most humbling thing you can go through as like to not be able to do anything yourself. Like I had to like crawl to go to the shower. I had to sit in the shower. It was just unbelievable how you just you take stuff for granted and then you, it gets taken away and you're like, wow. Like just walk just waking up and walking to the to the bathroom was just like I was so hyped when I could do it. I was like, this is amazing. Well yeah, no, that no, shoot. With the back, shoot, my mom had to help me get dressed again. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or like You couldn't do anything yourself. Yeah, no, that stuff's no joke. But I, I think obviously it builds for when you're a kid, you don't comprehend how far of life you have. So, like, you're probably worried about it. But then when it comes down to it, it's like a GM's probably thinking, like, yo, we already know this kid can play. Like, you know what I'm saying? And then at the end of the day, as long as it's not a long-term injury, you're good. You know what I'm saying? You're only, you're only 21 at the time. I remember I remember um, seeing, like, film on you or whatever, like, early on. Because I remember you used to be one foot cop back and stuff yeah, like that. This kid low-key getting busy. And I saw you... Uh, I remember, but like in my head, when people like pop up out of nowhere to me, I'm like, what does that mean? 
Or you know what I'm saying? Right, like, like it, could be, it could be he nice or it could just be No, some, yeah, yeah, but it's a random flu. sign. Yeah, so I'm like, so I remember looking you up a little bit and I remember being like, damn, he was Gatorade player of the year. I'm like, I'm in Ohio. That was kind of quiet. But I'm like, that it still don't add up to me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's right. really something more. Then like Lehigh beat Duke. I'm like, oh, the young boy goes to uh, Lehigh. And then you beat Duke. I'm like, man, damn, no average dude just beats Duke. And then you broke your foot. I'm like, nah, that don't mean anything. And then right. I remember thinking about it and I was like, your first game you had like what? When you started, what, 36? Where at, at uh in in tra- for the Trailblazers? Oh, my first, your first, like, my first career start. Well, no, first t- game of the year, basically. When I play, oh yeah, my first like yeah, in the like, in the lineup, yeah, against yeah. the Pelicans, thirty-seven. Yeah. yeah, thirty-seven. I was like, man, yeah, now now it's now all comes full surface, like in my head, like you know what I'm saying. But I think you know, obviously, going before that, I think those tough times and tri- you know trials and tri- tribulations what really puts you over the top and makes you different in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, you have to have a lot of faith. I think that your you, your faith grows when you go through adversity. And my mom always used to tell me, like, you're going to really appreciate life and you're going to understand when you when you get older and you go through different things, you're going to remember this trauma and how this trauma, yeah. you know, how you reacted to this trauma. And I, I, I thank her because she came out and I was, I was in the dumps, man. I was... Yeah. I mean, I used to just sit there and look at my girl, and we'd just be looking at each other, and she just, she didn't know what to say. <laughs> she just looking at me like, dang, I never seen him like this. Yeah. And my mom was just sitting there looking at me, and I'm calling my brother every day like, bro, this is the worst. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life, but I'm glad, it, I'm glad it worked out. And it's crazy how life works because three games before that, I was supposed to play, um, I sprained my ankle, like, early in the season, and I was supposed to play against Tony Mitchell. Yeah. And Tony Mitchell was very highly, highly recruited, and 53 credential NBA scouts was coming to the game. And yeah. I sprained my ankle the day yeah, before the game. What college you, somewhere in yeah. Texas, right? Yeah, he went to... North Texas, was it? Yeah, it was North was Texas. Was he? Oh, North Texas. Yeah, North Texas. Yeah, so I missed that game. I sit out two games, and like NBA teams is coming to watch practices, and I'm not playing. So I was like, I told my mom, I was like, I can't, like, they need to see me because... Who, what if his GM is coming? So I play on a sprained ankle. Neil, fly, Neil flies in. We have a storm. I didn't even know he was there. I just knew there was, there would be like seven NBA teams are credential tonight, eight teams credential. And it's an empty arena and you just see him. Yeah. So Neil fl- has to fly into <laughs> Newark. He drives and he tells me the story like later. I didn't know it was him that was there. He said he flew into like Newark or somewhere and he had to drive through like a snowstorm to come to Bethlehem. He gets there and he's like, you could, he could tell I was kind of hurt, but I had like, I don't know, I had like 38 on like a sprained ankle getting baskets and I break my foot the next game. That's crazy. And he was like, he, he had to he had to be able to sign off to Paul saying I seen him in person. Otherwise, Paul going to be like, ah, yeah. you know, he's coming off an injury and the history of Blazer players having injuries coming to the draft yeah, was of a yeah, scary nah, situation. Yeah. So I was like, it's, it's good I played, but bad because I probably made it worse and then I broke my foot the next game. But he got to see me live. Yeah, but that shows, Neil, you know, knows he's talking Because even, even then, I think I know basketball. Like, low-key, like, even when like, you were doing what you were doing, I remember being, like, a rookie or, like, a second year. I'm like, man, who? I remember being like, damn. Like, I was in Philly. I remember when you I watched a couple of highlight tapes on YouTube. I'm, like, looking out the window, like, damn, he up the street. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right. I knew, like, man, it's... Little homie, cold, cold. And I, and I was like, damn, he played with Coaster Kufis. In Ohio, I was kind of like always like in a box. I knew stuff, but maybe I didn't like know stuff as well, especially since like you were in Cannon like an hour and a half away. But I remember being like, man, that, man, that kid's going to be a pro. So like it didn't shock me because when, when did you get drafted? 2013, right? Yeah, 13. Yeah, so I thought, uh, so it was Michael Carl Williams went right before you. 
You know, I went ten. He was eleven. Yeah, I it. thought I was going to Philly. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. I thought you. I thought you were coming to Philly. I'm like, damn. He go to Philly. We could play together. I'd be all right. And then it, Portland ended up taking you. And I'm like, damn. It's gonna be a little ass backcourt. And <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we end up getting MCW. Shout out my guy MCW. Great dude. Shout out the Mike Leaning gang. Yeah. Oh yeah, Leaning rookie of the year. Um, we did pre draft together. That's crazy. And Mike's a good dude, bro. But really yeah, no, nah, yeah. But that that's actually. That's actually crazy. When you look back on it, let's full circle. And then I signed with Leaning. It's cr- that's crazy how yeah, life works. Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, it's, it's funny as hell. But that was uh, it all. I guess nowadays, like when you, when you think about your problems, as long as it's not you know anything like deadly or fatal, it's like you're really playing with house money compared to where you once came from. You know what I'm saying? It's Amen. like man, this is this is light work. This is easy. You know, so yeah, like anything is easy now. Like yeah. you deal with traumas. That we go through, and then you get to this point to where yeah. like something happens, and you just like I done been through, I done yeah, seen it been all. through everything, and it's like the book of Joe, man. Like you, you really just sharpen your blade, sharpen your iron, sharpens iron, just to, you know, you can laugh at those moments. And I always say that you know, if you lose faith or you lose confidence, it's like blasphemy, like you know what I'm saying. So I, I, it's not not really much you can really worry about as much. Okay, we have more pull up in a second, but first I want to talk about calm. Does it take you forever to fall asleep? tossing, turning, and trying every trick in the book, only to find yourself staring up at the ceiling, still awake. Calm can help. And that's why we're excited to partner with Calm, the number one app for sleep, meditation, and relaxation, named App of the Year last year by Apple. If you head to calm.com backslash pull up, you'll get 25% off Calm premium subscriptions, which includes hundreds of hours of premium programs, including sleep stories, which are bedtime tales, designed to quiet your mind and relax your body. Head to the lavender fields of France with Stephen Fry or explore New Zealand with Jerome Flynn from Game of Thrones. Or check out guided meditations on topics like anxiety, stress, and sleep. There's even soothing music and more. For a limited time, pull-up listeners can get 25% off Calm Premium subscription at calm.com backslash pull-up. That's calm.com slash pull-up. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content today at calm.com slash pull-up, and then you'll get to sleep. Let's get back to the show. E.T., when you signed that four-year deal with Portland, how much did you and uh, CJ have a lot of talks and conversation before about how it would play out? No, so CJ is actually before I like when I signed and before I got there. Like CJ is the one I spoke to most because I because uh, obviously he's from Ohio and then I had uh, seen him. Uh, we had actually seen each other at Vegas crap table or blackjack table yeah, like, with the real right, like probably like a year and a half before. Yeah, that. I was with OG. Yeah, that's with yeah, my OG. So you know CJ and he also seemed more approachable. Dame, uh, I never really had a conversation with Dame like, like that before that. <laughs> so so when it came down to it. You know, Dane, you know, and Dane's one of my good friends, too. It's like, man, I didn't really know Dane's personality like that. So, I would, you know, I would ask CJ a lot of questions on, you know, certain things. And that was, that was pretty much it. But I was, you know, I was excited, you know, obviously, especially what they did in the playoffs prior to that on top of the youth of the team. You know, back then, you know, we were still all relatively young. So, I, I was excited about it. And, you know, once again, I'm still excited to see where we're going to go with it. But it, it was all positive on top of the contract. That was that was even better. Like, when I talk to guys, everybody wants to win, and obviously everybody wants to get paid. But one of the big deciding factors for guys signing is, like, the players will really tell you how it is. I mean, the GM, the coach, the staff, they'll give you their put, their input. But the, isn't it that the player or the players or one of your – Good friends will say, "Here, here's how it is. Here, like, did you guys have that conversation?" Um, 
No, we didn't have like really have like a crazy conversation in that sense. I, when I when I heard Portland pop up, like I didn't think of like a red light occur. You understand what I'm saying? Like when you get out there and stuff, and when you're playing versus teams, like there's always like a good vibe. There's always like a good vibe, good energy. Yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? Like even yeah. before I went to Portland, I was like, man, that's a pretty like crazy crowd. Like those people show up. On top of, you know, the stuff that they did prior to. I don't think teams win 50-something games for three straight years if it's a bad atmosphere. You know what I'm saying? So when it came down to that, I was like, man, like, I knew there was good dudes. I knew uh, I knew the talent obviously was good, and I thought I could help. And, um, you know, for sure, I just, I mean, you know, from what I knew of, of, of CJ and, you know, knew of Darrell. And, you know, prior Darrell was on the team, but, like, I hung out with him, you know, prior to that. I was like, yo, these are good dudes. So I I didn't take any type of aura of negativity away. You understand what I'm saying? So when it came down to it, all I saw was just positivity. Yeah, I got you. I want to discuss your love for art. I've been in your house. Your house is amazing, by the way. You got one of the dopest houses I've seen. Oh, but... you got a nice house. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Humble beginnings, man. Humble beginnings, humble endings. But let's talk about your love for art. How you got into art. You have a lot of nice pieces in the house and then how you kind of put everything together and just kind of your your maturation process from... You know, how you look at life now compared to how you looked at it back in, during your St. Joe's days? I'm always infatuated with stuff that, like, I can't really do. So I'm a terrible drawer. It's not like it's not like I sit here and draw a picture. Like, I'm not good at that whatsoever. So I was, or, like, even just, like, anything within the arts, I was always like, yo, those people are really talented. They could see something in their brain and create it. You know what I'm saying? I can somewhat articulate it, but they can create it. You know what I'm saying? I always right. thought that was a natural gift. So, you know, obviously I always thought, you know, I started off with just seeing like graffiti. I always thought that was cool. I used to ride the train and stuff. I'm like, wow, that who could do that within a 30-minute time span of like spray paint, create something like yeah, that's that? that's impressive. You know what I'm saying? And then I remember... Basically, really buying my first piece of art, really, in, like, 2016. And I got, like, uh, I went to, uh, I was in Soho. I went to Eden Art Art Gallery in Soho, New York. And I remember uh, going inside there. I saw, you know, people like Mr. Brainwash. You know, I saw uh, I saw artists like Dorit Levenstein. I saw artists like David Krakow and, and things like that. So I remember back in, like, 2016, I... Uh, I went to the, that gallery and I started making some purchases. You know, I kind of, I kind of was like, hey, like I, I really want to, you know, showcase and kind of express myself in my, you know, in my home. You know what I'm saying? With with those pieces, like with the pieces I chose. So you know, obviously, you know, I, I with the Dora Levenstein, uh, you know, it's a lot of kind of Picasso type statues in a sense. You know, uh, a lot of crazy type. You know, a crazy wild type art, but it all made you know all made sense in the end. Or like the David, the David Krakow paintings, where you know a tribute to Jackson Pollock, like hella color, colorful. You know, basically like to brighten up the mood because you know Portland can be hella gray. As I started going in deeper and deeper, you know, I started you know obviously finding about you know finding out about the hometown artists like you know. Hebrew Brantley or, like, you know, Nina Chanel Abbey or, you know what I'm saying? Or, right. you know, obviously right now everybody's going crazy for cause. But, you know, uh, other than that, I just, you know, you get that itch. And that was one thing I just started searching for. I just started adding, you know, adding all my, you know, my search history on my computer, on my phones. It's just, like, different type of arts, you know what I'm saying? And, 
you know, eventually I started, you know, just diving into just grabbing, you know, pieces like Timmy Sneaks and, and things like that. Just just how the beautiful works of art where, you know, it's, it's, it's very, uh, you know, very colorful, very bold, very bright and very, you know, very creative in a sense. Very uh, somewhat like all over the place. If you go to my house, sometimes it's like a lot of paint splashes and things like that. But that was basically it. You know, once I hit one gallery and, you know, I, my, me and my dude, uh, Mason Plumley, when we play, we would talk a lot about art as well. And we hit a couple of galleries together. And I was like, yo, this is, this is crazy. This is dope. This is, this is, and on top of that, they hold their value and investment of it more right. so than cars and things like that. I'm like, this is, this is where I, this is where I find, you know, somewhat inner peace or, or, or somewhat. I can look at things and, and, you know, no matter what, I, I can interpret it the way I want to or try to, learn a lot from like from from the stories they tell you know what i'm saying from it so that was that was pretty much it that's i got into it like three or four years ago and i still buy pieces and i collect pieces and you know i i collect you know i just collect uh collect stuff that you know i forever want i gotta get more involved in art and yeah, i'm gonna bro. take you up on that this summer too because i spend a lot of time in the city so yeah, you be in New York, bro. Like, I gotta dabble. Man, there's there's hella art gallery exhibits, man. Like, I can connect you with some great people. Hey, I gotta dabble. You go to that. LA, like you know, I, I know, you know, I I bought a couple pieces off Hebrew Brantley. You know, in New York, I went to uh, check out my guy Mad Steez. He did the whole painting. Yeah, I the, seen, I seen you posted that. Yeah, Bleacher Report stuff. But it's like when we check those dudes out, and yeah, and maybe it's like the significance or like the. Maybe it's a metaphor for it, but like a lot of those times, those dudes, maybe they don't come, they seem like they're at peace because they're in their own mind creating. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's a break from the outside world, and and, and I think I love that the most. Yeah, that's dope, man. I appreciate it, man. And I don't know if I got anything else for you, Jordan. You got anything else for E.T.? The only thing for me, E.T., was are you collecting art? What's the balance of collecting it for you long-term because you really, it speaks to you or because you think you might, you know, this piece might be more profitable to sell in three years. Like, do you got you balance that? Uh, I somewhat balance it, honestly. Like, um, you know, not just guaranteed in a sense because when it comes, it's like a house. Like, of course, it could be worth this much, but if people don't have the money. You might be waiting for four or five years. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so obviously, like, I get pieces that remind me of stuff. Like, I have a piece from Dora Levenstein is uh. You know, uh, Louis Armstrong, and uh, it's like a jazz piece. It reminds me of, I go to my grandpa's basement, and, you know, he has jazz stuff all, you know, all around in his basement. And I remember riding in a car with him, that's all he listened to was jazz. Like, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, I have a piece of, uh, you know, I have, I have a Hebrew Brantley piece, and it just always reminds me of home. That's a big artist out of Chicago, and it's a fly boy, fly girl painting, and it's like, yo, that's, that's dope. That's a black artist. That's somebody like me that grew up loving basketball and switched over and found a different a different niche. Then I have a piece from you know uh, from a Columbus artist named uh, you know Bean or whatever, and uh, it's just a it's just a picture of uh, Killer Cam. You know what I'm saying? Camera on him with his pink on. You know what I'm saying? And when it comes down to it, that reminds me of me and my friends running around Chicago, and we thought we were Dipset. And you know, Camera was like the man and. Reminds me of my sophomore year. Uh, reminds me of my sophomore year Christmas vacation where I'm playing uh, NCAA college hoops 2K5 using Syracuse <laughs> nonstop, listening to the Purple Haze album. Right, like, you know what I'm saying. Right. So 
a lot of stuff is mostly for me. Obviously, I've started collecting some of like the the Comic Con toys or you know the cars pieces and the bare brick toys and stuff like that. Obviously, it'll hold its value, but you know, I, I think you know I want to keep that stuff and you know, uh, and, you know, and you know, take it from there. Got you. That's dope. So you know, that's, that's that's obviously the value is definitely dope, but you know, I usually just do it for myself and you know, a collection of it. And you know, we've been fortunate enough. To be able to, you know, accumulate funds and, you know, have different, you know, I think I, it'll be dope to come to different places of like where I own a house in Ohio or own a house in Chicago or Portland and I can have those pieces all around and it's going to be my, like, you know, what what I've seen in my mind as a home. You know what I'm saying? So that's basically really what I'm collecting it for in the near future is to spread it out amongst my, you know, my homes. CJ, we got to get you on that. Oh, I'm going to start it. It's only a matter of time, man. Next time I hit a spot, bro, if we go to Chicago or something, I'm definitely going to take you or like LA or somewhere, anywhere. But you definitely appreciate art. And you're in New York nonstop. I'll get you that for your wedding gift. I'm going to get you a dope art piece for your wedding. No, I appreciate that, man. That's that's the next phase for me, man. I started with wine. My girl got me into wine like seven years ago. And you took my wine heist to new levels by introducing me to a beautiful winery. And now... I'm continuing to just kind of spread my wings, man. That winery is crazy, too. It's all about spreading those wings, man, and and trying to grow. But I appreciate you coming on, man. We shared a lot. Um, Kept it 100, as always. And I think that we inspire some people. Just the biggest thing that I I talked to you about um, beforehand is just letting people know that we're we're normal. We go through traumas. We go through anxiety, stress, depression, self-doubt. All that stuff, but it's about how you overcome it and just trying to surround yourself with you know the right type of people who are going to bring you up and, and promote positive vibes. So I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on the pod. Thanks for letting me pull up, man. It's a, it's a classy pod. I, I'm uh, definitely trying to find some microphones for mine too. <laughs> <laughs> no problem at all, man. And and uh, we we're gonna we're gonna do the uh, wine segment in a second, man. Is it is it? Is it right? Should we keep ET on for the wine segment? I, I, I think I was I think about it's, to suggest. It's only right. Yes, I think we need yeah, to. Let's, let's do it. What, what, what do you want to know? I, okay. I just know what I like, but I'm learning. <laughs> okay. No, I got you right here. All right. Cue the wine music, please. This is how we do it, man. So, yesterday was Sunday. Since we're recording this, and today's Monday, I had Sunday dinner with moms. Cuzzo came over. Chris Brown was at the house from Lee Ning. We had a great time. But Chris Brown doesn't drink, so I provided wine for myself, Cuzzo, and Mom. I had the St. Eden 2011 from Napa Valley. It was spectacular. I also had a 2009, but I only opened one because, you know, I wasn't trying to overindulge. But it's among the top 1% of wines in the world. It had a very, very good taste. It went really well with the lasagna Mom's made, along with the salad. And, um... Baked, baked wings. I had baked wings. Shout out to Ed Davis. Ed Davis' mom sent uh, my mom a recipe for these baked wings, and they were fire. But long story short, the St. Eden 2011 was very good. It's a little pricey. However, I would say that it went down very smooth, and it has a little bit of a bold taste and uh, semi-acidic, but there were no problems. Jordan, what have you had lately? Well, that sounds great. Um, I actually went to France. Uh, I went to Burgundy. Which is oh, uh, wow. the same Burgundy district? Okay, that's the best. That's the best. It's kind. Of, it's the Pinot grape, but it's a, it's a little more elegant. And as uh, as CJ often says, after the second glass, it tastes the same. There are a few select wines that you feel like maybe it doesn't. And uh, and this one, I felt like tasted better and better. And it was uh, 
Oh, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but it was a uh, Louise Jadot Nuit St. George Le Boudot Premier Cru. And that's my French. And this was a little pricey, pricier than normal, but uh, it has a 93, I believe, on Vivino, and it's it was excellent. So, CJ, uh, I will send you this as I will to Evan because this is one of those special uh, burgundies. I appreciate that. Last, now your turn. Man, last wine I had was at the Domain Serene Wine Lounge right on 10th and Alder in Portland. Shout out my dude, Felipe Cantu. Um, I'm also going to try and make it out. You're part of Domain Serene, so they have, uh, they bought three acres in the Burgundy District in France, in Bordeaux, France. So we can I think go. I'm going this summer. Yeah, yeah we're supposed to go this season. But last last bottle I had was uh, Domain Serene, obviously. The Jerusalem Hill, 2015. So P- Pinot Noir. That's literally like four days ago. That's so. smooth, too. Yeah, it's real smooth. So we had a little, uh, couple bottles of those. But, you know, I, man, it, it just puts, man, it's just, it's just such a smooth taste. Real smooth taste. Great taste. Um I'm like, I, I have to agree with you. After the second glass, I don't think everything tastes the same. I think it still tastes just as good. But <laughs> but that was, uh, I definitely recommend that. Go check that out. 2015 uh, Jerusalem Hill, uh, Pinot Noir by Domain Serene. That was definitely uh, a dope vibe. And I'll also send you uh, uh, the, what is it, Domain Serene, what is it, 2010, their, uh, was it their Evanstadt Reserve that was number one in the world? Number one bottle? Yeah, I think was it was Evanstadt. Evanstadt and the Grace was pretty high, too. Yeah, the Grace was pretty high, too. That was like number three or number four. And that was the number uh, bottle of wine in the world. So I'm definitely going to hook you up with that for uh, the holidays. You enjoy that. We got to get E.T.'s uh, wine domain serene on the updated pull-up list of Wine Corner because that's been a big one for us, Evan, the, the domain serene. I feel like everything they make is good. Man, no, for sure. And then... You know, if you, you if you can ever pop out, we all go down to Main Serene. Shout out uh my dude Sean. Shout out to J- Chef Jason Cupper. You know, they'll let us uh let us have dinner in the cave. Uh when me and CJ first went to Domain Serene, we were able to taste out the barrels. Yeah, because, that was the next uh, level. Yeah, because the the barrel lady, uh I don't know her proper name, but she she's a the Ohio State University graduate, so she left <laughs> out for us. So wow. can't leave out the V. Yeah, you guys yeah, you gotta pull up with us one time. It's definitely a vibe. Me and CJ stumbled out of there on a on a nice a nice <laughs> off day. Yeah, nice off day, early afternoon. I'm we'll there. I'm with PM. it. You ain't lying. I am with it. That sounds great. Yeah, we get that going easily. For sure. We didn't we didn't answer one question that I seen I just seen on here. It said, What's the greatest Christmas song of all time? I can't man, honestly. People might say Mariah Carey, all I want for Christmas is you, but I don't agree with that. Um, obviously, I'm going to give you two two of them. One, oh, so I think Chris Brown's This Christmas was pretty legit. But honestly, man, it sounds so crazy, and this is for me going to school and uh, taking a bus and going to school in the burbs. This gift by 98 Degrees always gets me in the mood. I'm not, not, not going to lie to you, 98 Degrees. Nick Lachey. Yeah, Nick Lachey. Shout out to Lachey Brothers, man. Damn. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. Nick Lachey was married to Jessica Simpson, and she was married like nine times after that. It makes you wonder, like, damn, it's oh, not the jeans shit, CJ, but damn. <laughs> That's, yeah. Well, you're talking about happily ever, ever after, and then 
Yo, your chick might be at the Dallas Cowboys game ruining on Tony Romo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I feel like Nick Lachey's a Cincinnati guy, right? Yeah, nasty natty. <laughs> nasty natty. There's, there's one more question Matt wants us to ask before we let you return to the uh, royal kingdom. Steph Curry recently did a podcast with uh, Kent Bazemore and Iggy and mm-hmm. uh, Vince Carter. Damn, that was lit. Steph and Iggy on Vince and Kent Bazemore. I think they're doing a road tripping as well in Ooh, Atlanta. Really? Kent and Vince. That's dope. So Steph said that he doesn't believe a man landed on the moon. I don't know if he was playing or if he was serious. <laughs> if you think about how, how far is the moon from us, millions of miles, right? It's far. Who got time for that shit? But the way these spaceships are built now, you can get there. Oh, in six months, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Jordan, how long does it take to get to the moon? It takes like three months. The moon is 238,900 miles away from Earth. Oh, that ain't bad. Yeah, it's not that three far, months. man. Three months is a long time to be traveling, man. It is, especially when you're floating and eating whatever food they eat. Do I, are you asking me if I believe people went to the moon? Yes, I'm asking. Man, like... Out of not, like, knowing anything, I'd be like, no, they didn't go because for the simple fact, like, come on, bro, that's forever. But at the same time, as much as we paying taxes, shit, anything can happen, don't you think? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's true. But, like, I don't, I, it seems like there's so many conspiracies in America. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, the past history, like, you just don't know, but... Think they photoshopped the landing? Man, <laughs> I, I, I would just want to know where all those people went for those... They were gone for six months, right? I want to know where he went to hide out for those six months. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's three months I, there, three months back. That's what I'm saying. So, like, when it comes down to it, I'm like, yo, I don't know because where would have got out eventually on somebody's deathbed? Like, that ain't never happened. Don't you think? That's, yeah, that's true. I my, think if they were lying, somebody would have found my, out. My, my thing with the moon is that I want to believe so badly that it's real. And the reason I, one of the big reasons I believe it's real is because it was all during the Cold War and the race to get to the war or the race to get to the moon was predicated off of the US versus Russia and be, the US so badly wanted to and they yeah. and they did. And there's also a new movie coming out with Ryan Gosling first to, first to the moon which looks great. Man, if they say they did it, why who am I who am I to call somebody a liar? I don't know, bro. I just think if, if it didn't happen it would have came out by now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Cuz where are those people going to hide for 6 months? Like you know your friend leaving for the moon now. <laughs> you know like, yeah, he said he'd be back. He said he'd be back. Yeah. Now, I mean, and we're, and they usually have, like, the spaceship take off. Where would the spaceship go? I think people would notice the spaceship came back down, right? They would notice that, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, they had him going somewhere. CJ. What do you think, CJ? I think that there are a lot of conspiracies that exist out there in the world. Honestly, there's a lot of stuff going on that we just will never understand. There's a lot of stuff that we'll never know about and that gets hidden. But I think that based on the technology I've seen and for them, the richest man in the world right now, what's his name? Shit, I don't know. The guy, the guy uh, who sent the Tesla to the moon. Somebody sent the Tesla to the moon? Yeah, Jordan, you've seen that, right? Elon Musk. Elon Musk. He sent one of his Teslas to the moon with a dummy in it, right? Right. He took the, and dropped the roof and dropped the roof off. For them to be able to do that, right? And for him to be worth, I don't know, 160, 150 billion. I believe that we have the technology to to definitely send someone to the moon. I don't know if we did it previously, but I like I'm t- talking about the Cold War era. I don't know what type of technology we had during that time, but. I know that if we can drop a bomb from outer space and it hits someone's mailbox, we got we got some really that, good technology. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I want to believe it. Et, I feel like you're on the fence, but you want to believe it. I feel like I feel like it happened. I feel like it happened. I truly do. Well, I think I think we just solved a possible mystery. We solved it. it that's it. <laughs> we gotta wait like twenty more years before before the truth comes out. We're gonna have to have Et back on, and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to record a pod in France. We gotta have to go to France I'll in the season Ill, and bro. record a pod in France. I like CJ because. You- He'll do what he says he's supposed to do. You can have a conversation with somebody you hang out with every single day, but yeah, I'm going to pull up. I'm going to do this. And dudes don't do what they say. We all say we're going to France after the season. And only, there's only like two people I know that might pull up out of eight people that said it. <laughs> me and, and you. We're going to be going to France. Hey, I, I, I'm, I'm more than happy to oblige. All right, bet. Because last time it was just me, me and CJ went to Domain Serene together, and I got a sprinter for eight people. He got a sprinter for the whole squad. It was just me and him. Yeah, everybody gave me like some little kid excuses. Like, oh, I left my I left my oven on. I'm like, bro. So when we talk about it now, everybody's like, yeah, we're going to, we hit it. Yeah, man, like, we there. We yeah, there. We there. Like, okay, I, well, I will be on my way to France regardless. I'm going. I'm flying home to see wifey and then I'm gone. Yeah, I'm pulling up too. So that's that. That's settled, man. But I appreciate you coming on, man. You, you welcome on the pod anytime, man. Anytime. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. And this is dope pod. I'm glad I could be on the Marcus Smart. This Marcus Smart number. That's my dude. Shout out to Marcus Smart for entering the top 10 all time. Celsius three point shooter. And all that's that stuff. Yeah, they talking about he can't shoot and all that, but now he's top ten. The irony. Crazy how life works. Who are you telling? Like shit, just keep hitting them. Just keep shooting them, bad boy. Amen. And you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, backslash pull up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up, pull up. <laughs> <laughs>